thing with Adele this morning and I was wondering why you watch TV in the morning no I watched a video I was waiting I was at Starbucks waiting for yoga I sound like a big yuppie right now I was Um, watching a thing on Adele on my way to my morning yoga while I'm drinking my La Croix (laughs) but I was listening and I was listening to her and watching I love Adele and I know you don't I was like why doesn't Holly like her but she does that hello Hello. Okay. It's not that I don't like her. I you just, don't like her music. Well, I mean, you know. You don't. It's okay. You don't have to. She comes in handy like, you know, the black eyed peas come in handy. But. Oh, you're so offensive. Okay. Let's go. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so we're doing uh, – well, before we get into the episodes about um, – let's uh, – Promote a couple of things. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, all right. I have a couple of things. Uh, my mantra project of Tommy Sa- Tammy Salas um, is a 40-day email series or email course that gives you a mantra with a little bit of a, with a piece of writing um, and some beautiful quotes and possibly some activities. Um, and it's uh, meant to help you find your footing in sobriety. It's very similar to other programs out there that are meant to make subtle shifts over time. But this is specifically for those of us that are moving through sobriety. Um, and that you can find on hip sobriety, the hip sobriety project.com. No. Oh my God. I need to get my website straight. It's on hip sobriety.com. I was going to say, and it's right on your website. You just go to the store. And then the, um, the other thing is Hip Sobriety School is starting on January 12th, and we'll be advertising it. We're taking a break, and we're going to be advertising it um, right around the end of the year and, and the first of the year. If you, uh, It does sell out. If you want to make sure and get a spot in the course, um, email admin at hipsobriety.com to be put on a wait list. Um, that's what I've got. What about you? Yes, I have a couple things also. Um, a couple workshops coming up. I have one in January 22nd in, at South Boston Yoga, Voice of the Body uh, workshop. And I have one on, at Sky Teen Yoga in New York City on February 12th. I am also later today going to be announcing the next retreat with Meadow DeVore uh, and super excited about where it's going to be. Where is it going to be? It's going to be in California. San Luis Obispo. Where? Uh, At, I can't say yet. Is it just the tiniest chance? I haven't seen the contract yet, but it'll be there at a ranch. What's the name of the ranch? I can't tell you. I'll tell you after. I'll text it to you. <laughs> Can I come? Yeah. Would that be weird if I came to one of those? No, I would love it. Are you kidding? Okay. I you should come. Do I have um, to pay? Uh <laughs> just <kidding. laughs> 
Um, everybody has to pay, guys. Yeah, so, no, that I'm very excited. So the dates, I can announce. It will be April. Oh, this will be. By the time this is out, it'll already be announced. April 6th through the 9th. I want to come to one. Um, you will. And I'm going to be the most... I'm going to be the biggest asshole of a student ever. <laughs> Can't wait. No, I really want you to come. I'm just kidding. Um, will you wear a wig and like um, come in disguise? <laughs> no one will know who you are. And they'll be like, who is this chick? Who is that that person that's being an asshole? Okay. Um, I think people figure it out. So there's that. There's that treat and then one thing that we are doing that's really exciting we're doing some workshops next year we're announcing those later but we are going to start to do amas uh a live stream what's ama mean is that the american uh, music uh, awards yeah and ask me anything oh ask me anything okay ask me anything uh on live streams we're gonna do it the second tuesday of, of every, every month. month yeah beginning january 10th so we will start to promote that very soon. We'll allow you to sign up, and it will be at the same time every Tuesday, every second Tuesday of the month. 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern. And it and the format is we're doing video. So we're, gonna, we're starting out with some pretty scrappy tools. Um, but the idea is just to be able to, you know, we get letters, and sometimes we answer them on the program, or sometimes we, um, you know, take an idea that we got from a letter and we use it to build a conversation off of. But so we don't get to answer smaller questions um, or specific questions. And so this is really meant to, um, you know, give us an opportunity or give you an opportunity, give us all an opportunity to have a conversation about what's going on right now and yep. answer, you know, it's not like Laura and I are the experts, but it's just more of giving us um, the the room to talk about what's really happening. I think it's the most important part of <clears throat> something like this allows people to join and then just see what other people in, that mm. you know they connect with are asking and want to know about. Because so often yeah. we feel so alone and things that we're experiencing. And the truth is, most of the stuff we experience is universal. Um, yeah, all of it. The yeah, so it'll be kind of like we, I think we also just wanted to have a two way conversation, right? Like we're this is us talking to people's ears and talking to each other, and we want to be able to actually have a conversation sometimes. I'm wondering if that would be a three way conversation because isn't this a two way conversation? Yeah, kind of three. That would be like a a hundred way conversation. Okay, depending on how many of you show up. So. Look for that. We'll put it out. Uh, I'm super excited about that. And I think that's all for the promotional stuff. Oh, also, it's only live. We are not, like, putting up recordings of it. It's If you catch it, you catch it. If you don't, you don't. Um, just mm-hmm. because it's uh, it's something that we're just doing is kind of a, um, you know, the, the, the joy of these things is for everybody to be on um, at one time. Um, right. And so that is why. Um, and, you know, yeah. Cool. So, what are we talking about on this episode? Who? Uh, we're talking about our girl, Lara. Um, we, Lara is somebody that, uh, you know, she can kind of, she'll talk a bit about how she found both of us. But um, we had a conversation about sex addiction with a guy named JJ on a, episode 59. Um, and then we were talking about it in our uh, Facebook community and 
Lara writes um, her story about being called a sexual predator. And mm-hmm. it just, and, and not only that, but just hearing all these, you know, it's a, it's, a fem- it's a feminine community, it's a women's community. And hearing all of these women have such a different take on um, sex addiction and love addiction, um, mm-hmm. I, I just... I mean, we felt we wanted to have her on to provide a different story about sex addiction and love addiction. And we didn't go super deep into that. We just got, just got more into Lara's fascinating story. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. And she's she's one of our our people. And she's it was just a, it's a good story, like a, an important story to hear, to talk about. It is. So, it is, and it's just. I mean, she's she's amazing, and the stuff which, what she's done and where she's come from is. Uh, it's just another one of those really beautiful stories. And so, Lara blogs at LaraFraser dot com. If you want to find out more about her, that's just mm-hmm. Lara L A R A Fraser F R A Z I E R dot com. We link to that in our on our website. Uh, if you want to find out more about her, um, but she's wonderful and. We go. And she has a she has a um, pig named Peaches. So I highly recommend you follow her on Instagram so you can see <laughs> pictures pig. of her pig. <laughs> totally worth a follow. Okay, this is Lara. Here we go. Faces dressed up to the low low. Hey, hey, girl. Hey, girl. <laughs> Are you there, Lara? No, no. Oh, okay. I'm, yeah, I'm here. I'm totally no, this here. is real. We're saying hey for real. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so here. Hi. Hi, you guys. We've oh. already talked about the weather, so we don't need to do that. Well, thank um, goodness. <laughs> awesome. Thank you for thank you for joining us. Lara. Thank you for having me. This is such an honor to talk to you girls. Yeah, it's really fun. It's nice to have one of our friends on. Um, it's exciting. Yeah. Um, I feel like I've been like your guys' fan and follower from for a very, very long time before you were big and famous. How did we – okay, so you – how did, did you – you didn't – oh, my God, I can't remember. You were just in the home group and we – you and I started talking. You did hip sobriety school and we started – that's when we started talking on the phone. Is that right? Well, what happened? No, what happened? Okay, so what happened, and Holly, you know this, but I'll remind you. Um, I found Laura on Instagram, and I started reading her blog when it was I Fly at Night, and I saw that she was connected to you. <laughs> and so I opened your, like, hip sobriety website and looked at your manifesto, and I was and I was in 12-step at that time. That's I'm like, right. nope, I want nothing to do with that. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> Not one bit. <laughs> That's right. But, but then the when Antichrist. you guys came out with the home podcast, I started listening, and obviously my views totally changed, and now I'm in love with everything you teach. Yeah, that's right. I totally forgot about that. I know people like you exist. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully they can change their views, too. Oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah, and then you, but you and I are, I mean, you and I have been friends for the past, um, well, I guess this year, since, um, since early yeah, this year. Yeah, about a year. Like you, yeah, yeah. Um, and, yeah, a lot's and then happened. we just hung out in Austin. We just saw each other a few weeks ago. Yes, we did. In real life. In real life. It was yeah. the best thing ever. It yeah. was. I know. Was I great. wish I was there. Was that an AA thing? I, I still don't understand why I wasn't invited. Is that why? 
Holly, it's an AA thing. <laughs> and you told me like 16 times that you didn't want to go. Well, then I say it was all at dinner and I didn't want to be left out. Yeah, I don't understand why I'm not invited. <laughs> why are you guys I didn't even together, really though? go to any of the AA stuff. I just hung with the girls. I didn't um, go to anything either. Um, I just enjoyed Austin and everybody. It was great. So there was stuff happening. Yeah. Okay. All right. But it became kind of another thing because everybody, like so many people decided to go. Um, but it was a very random AA thing. Yes. Okay. That was cool. the impetus. Cool. So let's, let's go. Let's get into <laughs> your very incredible and um, just, it's such a big story. So, so. We want to go, well, let's just start where you think it's right to start talking about your addiction story. I don't. Like, go ahead. No, I'll just let you go. Like, start. Okay. Start I mean, I don't know. I don't really know where to start, but my addiction really began much later in life than most people's would and like when I was younger I was just really focused on my education and my career and getting good grades and I I didn't even drink really in college and I was totally against drugs and and my grandma she was an alcoholic and I was like I am never ever going to turn into that um I would write poetry about like spitting and in red wine and and it was just something that I never thought was going to be part of my makeup because I was just so focused on like just leading this dream life of being successful. And I think I think that's how I fell because my identity was tied up into my labels like you know, good student, good daughter, um, director of this or director of that and and so what happened um when I was around 21 years old, I had a minor surgery and I was prescribed Vicodin. And at that time I had just finished college and I was studying for the GMATs because I was trying to get into an MBA program. Yeah. And I remember just how it really relieved so much pressure because I was always, always putting pressure on myself um, to succeed and just to be like this, this big version um, of like everything a woman's supposed to be. Um, and so, so I you, so you like you, you took your prescription for the, for the surgery and like immediately when you took it, you, you were like, Oh, I like this. I liked that feeling. And that was odd because at that time, like I really didn't drink and I, had, you know, I'd smoked marijuana maybe like five times, but I wasn't, I would never think that I would like the way something made me feel like I wouldn't think that some being out of control or not feeling like myself would make me feel good, but it did. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Totally get it. And so I, I didn't, I didn't become, I mean, I didn't really abuse that prescription at all. Um, I found another prescription of mine from when I got a wis my wisdom teeth taken out and I took it, but that really didn't, I mean, that didn't really cause an abuse at that point. It just made me realize that I really like the feeling of the, of these pain pills. And the, right, like a little light turned on. Yeah, exactly. Like, okay, this is good. This can make me feel better. This can relieve some pressure. Um, and and so I, went, I moved to California, and I started graduate school. And over 
and everything was going good. Um, I finished my first year and over the summer I had been in a relationship with this man who was like more experienced with drugs than I did. And he had done cocaine and I was like, Oh my God, I cannot believe you did cocaine. I would never do that. And I was totally turned off by it. But, um, <laughs> we went to Mexico over the summer and he was like, well, let's go look in the pharmacy and see if they have Vicodin. Cause he knew, he remembered that I, I liked that feeling. I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah, let's do it. And so we were prescribed this drug called Tramadol, or, or not prescribed. We picked up this drug called Tramadol or Ultram. Yeah. And it's like a non-narcotic, non-nar- supposed to be non-narcotic pain reliever. And and so I, we brought some home, and I took like a pill a day for a month. And Really? <laughs> yeah. And for me, that was, I mean, it doesn't sound bad, but that was like out of control for me because... I didn't think that I would be someone who would, you know, buy drugs at a pharmacy and then take them home and then continuously use them. And you were uh, like intentionally, you, what you would, I mean, what would you just took them like during the day? You I just, one? yeah, like when I got, I was doing an internship for a cable network and when I got home, I would like have a glass of wine and take a tramadol. Gotcha. Um, okay. Yeah. And so, and so then I was like, this is a problem. I don't know why I'm doing this. Um, and so I stopped taking them. And I went into like a depression from the withdrawal, but I did it. Yeah. And it was, I'd never been depressed in my life. Like I was always happy. I, I don't know. It it was something that I I had never experienced and it was, it was really odd and strange and really scary for me because I was, I was crying all the time. so, So when I returned to school that second year, um, I went to see a psychiatrist at the school and because I was depressed and and I told him what I had been doing. I told him about the tramadol um, and I told him like, I didn't realize the depression was from not taking the tramadol. Mm. So he prescribes me Xanax and Ambien and an antidepressant. <laughs> really? Yeah. All three of those. All three depressed. of them. Wait, I'm sorry. Xanax, Xanax uh-huh. Ambien and what else? And an antidepressant. Okay. God. How much, when, and, real, real quick, how much time did he spend with you and did he tell you what that would do? I'm just curious. He, he probably spent at the most 20, 25 minutes with me and we didn't even, he didn't even care that I said I was addicted. He was just basically trying to fix, oh, you're depressed. Okay. Let me hand you this stuff. You can't mm-hmm. sleep. You're anxious. Here you go. It's and so told- funny because I got that exact like trilogy of medications when you I did. went in after I had my daughter, I was like cutting myself. I was basically non-functioning. And this woman spent maybe 30 minutes with me. And those are, I, I got Klonopin and Ambien and an antidepressant. Oh my yep. Well, apparently that's the answer for the, from the medical profession. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, okay. So, yeah. So I, so anyway, I thought it was over. Like I didn't abuse the Xanax or Ambien. I took it every now and again, but I'm like, okay, well, I'm not depressed anymore. I'm not abusing these drugs. Everything's good. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, I finished school. Um, I, I got a job at a cable network. Um, and, and I just, um, I really started having everything that I had ever desired. Like I had a dream to work in entertainment for a cable network before I moved to California and I made that happen. And I was really young and I was making six figures and I had my own office and I I felt on top of the world, but I was also becoming really, really arrogant um, and totally obsessed with material things and superficiality. And 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 so I and I so started, what did that look like? Like 
what did that look like? What? Like it was, it was always, well, I just, you know, I deserve more. Like I'd been at the company for like a year and a half and I was like, well, I, I think I need more because everything that they were handing me to do, it was just like, I was just taking care of it because I was already addicted to working hard and to being successful. And so if they, if they handed me something to do, or if they set goals, like I was going to exceed them because again, my identity was tied to that. Like it wasn't right. an option not to be successful. Yeah. Um, and this is kind of when my love and relationship and codependency issues start showing up okay. because I had gotten engaged um, to that same guy who uh, had uh, bought the tram at all with me in Mexico. And How he, old were you? Just out of curiosity. I was 23. Okay. okay. And he, um, we had, he had moved out to California to go to law school because we met shortly before I moved to California. And so he decided to attend law school in California. Um, but he started saying he hated Arizona or he hated California. He was so depressed and we ended up moving, um, back to Arizona. We bought this house that was far beyond our means because I wanted to have a house that showed my success. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I, I got another job, but I don't, I don't know what was going on, but I was like, I was just terrified to perform at another job because it wasn't in cable or entertainment. It was in technology and it was just something that I didn't understand. So I started, I started almost, I started failing at my job and I ended up being fired and that like on purpose, like you said, not on purpose, but I just, it was like, I was frozen and paralyzed. Uh, I, okay. I wouldn't make phone calls. Like I didn't know what to do. Uh, it was a startup and I was used to working for a corporate company and it was just an environment in which I wasn't, I just wasn't accustomed to. Mm -hmm. yep. And, and what was going on at home was my, um, my fiance had been verbally, and verbally abusive and he'd been physically abusive before but when we when we were in Arizona um things got really out of hand and and he threw me into a refrigerator and the police were called and so I ended up um leaving that relationship which I didn't think I would be able to to leave that relationship because my other identity was like I'm engaged to a lawyer yeah we're right. going to be a powerhouse couple yeah. Um, and so that, so that was hard. And, and, and I moved in with my parents for about two months and I started ordering opiates off the internet. And okay. I, so wait, <laughs> so, so, so <laughs> slow down. Oh, yeah. So you move, you move in with your parents and, and mm -hmm. what, like you just get this idea all of a sudden I'm, well, I'm, I need to kill the pain or whatever. Yeah. 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 I'm oh, no. so depressed because like we were going to have to short sale our house. Um, I had just lost this relationship that I'd been in for four years. I didn't have a job. Like every identity that I had relied on had fallen. Yeah. And so I felt like I had nothing. And, and you're very really young. I, I am. Yeah, I'm young. I'm, I'm probably, I'm like 24, 20. Yeah, I'm 24 at this point. Um, and, and it wasn't like I was, I ordered them off the internet um, and I wasn't, I mean, I wasn't necessarily like, obviously I was abusing them because I wasn't prescribed them, but I wasn't taking a lot of them. I was just depressed and I didn't know how to deal with it. And I remember, well, I've been, you know, I felt this way before and I know what helped. It was those pain pills. Yeah. And, and I ended up, um, I moved back to California after about two months of living with my parents. I started working in television production and I got in a car accident while I was at work 
on the set of this show. Mm-hmm. And so I was prescribed more opiates. And I wasn't working, I was like, in, I was in production, so it wasn't really something that was like tied to business or a career. So I, I really didn't feel like I had an identity there. But when the opiates were prescribed, obviously, I was, I was more than happy about that. Yeah, um, right. But when everything really took off, was about six months later, I had finally just landed like a career opportunity. It was for an entertainment group. I was going to be the vice president of sales. Um, and that was like, just, it, it was everything to me. I was like, okay, I'm back. Everything's going to be good. I'm going to be successful again. Um, people are going to, people are going to like me. I'm going to have my identity back. Like life is moving forward. Yeah. And two days before I was supposed to start the job, um, the guy who hired me called me and said that the investors pulled out so they didn't have the money to bring me on. And in that moment, I broke and I just started crying. I didn't know what to do. I went to my friend's apartment. She lived in the same complex as me. And I just laid on the floor and told and told her I wanted to die. Like two of my other girlfriends came and they were just watching me, like just telling them I want to die. And they're like, Larry, you need to call your psychiatrist. So this is the same psychiatrist I had at Pepperdine who prescribed me the Xanax and Ambien and antidepressant when I told mm-hmm. him I was taking pain pills. And he, and he answers the phone. And I mean, I'm totally honest. Like, I'm, you know, I want to die. Like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to live. I don't want to live anymore. And he's like, oh, okay, okay. Oh, let me prescribe you something. Um, and you can come pick it up tomorrow at the pharmacy. And he didn't even ask to see me. He's not like concerned that I'm saying I'm going to kill myself. He's just like, all right, I've got a pill for you and you're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. And so the next day I, I drove up to Malibu where the pharmacy was and it's a prescription for Adderall. And oh, I, God. Yeah. <laughs> I had taken Adderall like once because my friend had it, but it was like a 10, it was a very small dose. And, and so I didn't necessarily know what this drug was going to do to me. I didn't really know about amphetamines. Um, and he prescribed me the highest dose that you could take mm-hmm. in California. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. And so I, I, took, I took the dose. Um, and I, I felt better. I didn't want to die anymore. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? Dude, I'm just wondering what, what about your, because I've taken, I did Adderall a lot. I'm just yeah. wondering what about your state? thought he thought because it's prescribed for ADD. ADD. I and I, I still don't get it to this day and like Ugh. that psychiatrist has been a main player in my story um he's yeah is he still practicing <laughs> I I think so but uh, the funny story is a few years later like when my parents are trying to get me off, off the Adderall they called him he's like oh everyone's on drugs in California it's no big deal yeah huh so, wow. <laughs> God. he just yeah, I have no idea if he's still practicing. Um, but I, but so I took that prescription. I didn't sleep for like two days. I, I was taking Xanax and Ambien to try to sleep. And because my system wasn't like accustomed to ever t- really taking amphetamines, I was wired. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And, I, and I loved it. And I loved yeah. it because it gave me everything that I had been searching for my entire life. Like I was able to get so much done. I had so much create creativity and it started like being this, I, I like looked at it like I was becoming more spiritual and I was finding God and I was like, oh, yeah. oh, and I was yeah. like getting humble and I didn't care if I had a job or a car or a house like, Hey, you know, I have me, I love myself. Um, 
And Isn't that fucking crazy? It's so it's so weird and ironic and crazy. Yep. I just I didn't I had no idea what this would do, and and it just turned into um. I start like I I realized what it did, so I didn't take as many. Like I didn't take as much. I would take like a quarter of a pill, and 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 I would just like it. And then my personality started changing, um, and I didn't realize it. Like I was. I was staying inside. I was like writing poetry all day and all night. I wasn't going out with my friends, wasn't staying in contact with my family. Um, I had lost like 20 or 30 pounds and, and my family noticed and I started abusing it. I started snorting it. I started mixing it with Xanax. Um, Mm. But the problem, like the issue really came about probably five or six months later when, um, I was experiencing drug-induced psychosis, which I didn't realize I was experiencing at the time, but I had come to the realization that my roommate was spying on me. Mm-hmm. She had set up cameras around my house, um, and and she was watching me, and so I, call, I called my parents, and I'm like... Wait, she really my, was, or she wasn't? No, she wasn't really. Oh, okay. That's what my, that's what my <laughs> mind told That's what her brain was telling her. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I logical. it's it's totally logical when you're in that state um and my parents are psychologists so I called them and told them what was going on they're like Lara you're having Adderall induced psychosis your roommate is not spying on you and and they came out and they um they like tried to get they they got me off Adderall and called that doctor and told and told them to stop prescribing it and um they just, I mean, they tried to do everything in their power to get me to stop using it. And so I stopped using it and then I became like suicidal again. And I, I would write, like I wrote awful letters to my parents about how I hated them, how they ruined my life because they, they stopped me from using this drug. And I just felt, again, I felt severely depressed. So my, my parents um, actually ended up calling the police because I told them I was going to kill myself and it was, it wasn't like I was really going to kill myself. I just wanted them to be hurt because they took away this drug that like gave me life. Right. You were sick. So you were this, you're still in California and your parents were in. Yeah, I'm still in California. My parents were in Texas. And so my parents like flew out. And so that was the first, so the police came to my door and they put me in handcuffs and they took me, and I wasn't on Adderall this time, but they took me to a psych ward um, for a 5150, which is like a threat of suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was kind of the beginning of my stays in psych wards and in treatment um, and just me pretty much losing losing my entire mind because of the amphetamines and because of the psychosis that they that happened. Um, I was in like a four or five year cycle of just in and out of rehabs. I was like living in hotels. I was living in my car. I was in sober livings. Um, and so when you, yeah. So, so through this five or six year cycle, like mm-hmm. what, um, did, were you, was anything starting to sink in about, like, did you, would you have moments where you're like, yes, I'm going to get off everything I want to be in recovery or whatever. And then you wouldn't be able to do it. Like, what did that look like going in and out? Or were yeah. you just like, no, fuck this. I don't want any of it. No, there were times when I really, truly wanted it. Um, I really did. And even the first time I went to rehab, it was my decision to go there. I had stopped the Adderall because 
at, at one point because I, I saw what it was doing to my brain, but I was still, I was snorting Xanax and still taking prescription pain kills. And I was like, I just, I can't stop doing this. I don't know how to stop dad. Like, please put me in re put me in rehab. And my dad, um, his business partner is connected to a treatment center in LA. So they got me in really quickly. And I, and I truly thought like, I'm going to go to this rehab for 30 days. Um, I'm going to stop abusing these prescription pain kills. Like I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to sleep this off. I'm going to learn a few things and this is, and this is going to be over. I want this to be over. Right. I'll be on my way. Yeah. And, and this treatment center, it was, it was in, modeled in the 12 steps and they told me, they kept telling me, it doesn't matter why you became addicted. All you need to do is work these 12 steps and you'll be free. Mm. And for me, that wasn't the answer because I truly needed to understand why I was doing this to myself. Like I don't, right. my past doesn't look like someone where all of these things would occur. And I, and I didn't understand, I didn't understand what was going on. And so yeah. what happened, like, the first 30 days I, I completed treatment, I went to a sober living and then I started getting wrapped up in, in male attention. Mm -hmm. I think it had to do with like, I'm not getting this high from this drug. How else can I get high or where, totally. else, can, where else can I find my identity? I want to be powerful. If these men like me and men are chasing after me, then I'm going to be, I'm going to be powerful. Mm -hmm. um, and so that really started cycling like, it was either I was I was high off drugs or I was high off men, right. um, and I got kicked out of treatment my second and third time because I got in a relationship with guys in treatment, and you're not supposed to do that. Right. Um, and so what? So what kinds of things? Like what did that look like? You know, you what you get caught? Yeah. So this, so this I went to the same treatment center three times, and there's you're not supposed to communicate with the men. Like you're not even supposed to look at them. You're not. Um, like don't make eye contact, don't talk to them. And, and we were separated, like we weren't really separate at the facility. I mean, when we were in groups, we were all together, but when we were outside or not part of groups, like we had to stay separate. And so, but there were ways around it. Like we would send notes to each other. Um, <laughs> it sounds like middle school, but we were send notes to each other. And then like there was an opportunity to go off site and like volunteer for bingo and at that and that was where you could talk to the guys so that's yeah. like how a lot of the relationship started yeah and it wasn't like I was I didn't care what guy it was like yeah I wasn't, discriminate yeah yeah no if, uh, this guy's gonna give me attention okay that's good and if that guy wasn't gonna give me attention then I was gonna find someone else who was gonna give me attention um and so and I mean, like this treatment. But you're facility, saying you're were, saying this from this perspective. What was it like in that perspective? Did you know that that was the thing, or were you? I didn't know. What, uh, uh, I didn't know what was going on. I like even. As, so the three times, the first three times, I didn't know what was going on. I remember like people saying, "You can't. You you have a problem with men. Like you need to get sober. Don't be in a relationship. Don't be with guys." But I I didn't really understand what was going on, nor why I was gravitating towards them. Yeah. You just wanted to feel better. I mean, right? It, You're just like. I didn't get it. All I knew is that when I had their attention, I felt a lot better about myself. Yeah. Right. Um, and so, so the fourth time I went to treatment, I actually went to treatment in Texas and I went to a much different facility that was focused on um, more therapy. And, and it was, and I went 
into a love and sex addiction program at that facility because my parents had called them and told them like all my issues with men and obviously I had issues with drugs too um, but my parents saw like if I got sober and then got in a relationship and that was my downfall like I would always relapse mm, yeah mm-hmm. and so the treatment facility I mean it's it's a very reputable place it's well known for treating sex addiction and there's not a lot of people who go for love addiction but um, they have a really good program and they had told my parents like oh don't worry we won't kick her out we because they're worried about me getting kicked out again um and they're like we take the toughest cases nothing's gonna like nothing's gonna happen we're gonna treat her and at that place at that facility the fourth time is where i acted out the most and where i think i was like the absolute worst representative of myself that i have ever really been um what happened (laughs) within three weeks I was having sex with a guy from the facility Um, he snuck in my room and there were like cameras outside of the building so they knew that he had snuck in and I was lying about it Um, and I was like totally obsessed with this guy anything like I would lie about everything I would sit and at this facility you could talk to the guys but they put me on a contract Um, it was like I think it's called I forgot what it was not like non-communication with males I wasn't allowed to talk to the guys even though all the other girls were allowed to and that was a different experience for me too because at the other facilities you weren't allowed to talk to the guys but at this facility you could and so you were like singled out at some uh, like you couldn't yeah I was totally singled out and there are some guys who are in the sex addiction program who had the same thing but I mean it was like I was like branded do not talk (laughs) do not talk to this woman she's trouble and I didn't want to, I didn't want to abide by it. Um, I mean, they threatened to kick me out multiple times, but the last, but the last time when they were honestly, they were really going to kick me out. Like if you won't, your parents are coming to get you. And I said, I'm not leaving. And because I think I, at that point I started, I started seeing that I had a really big issue with men and relationships and sex and codependency. And I realized that what they were doing for me was actually helping me. And I yeah. didn't want to leave. Yeah. They're like, well, we're going to call the cops and the cops are going to come and they're going to take you off site. And I'm like, all right, have the cops take me away because I'm not leaving. And I started, yeah. I like got in the bed, got, they put me in this room and I got on the bed and I just started like, I started praying like I had never prayed before. I just started asking God, like, please, please help me. And I think that's when I finally surrendered to everything that was going on and truly started realizing that I didn't just have a problem with drugs. I had a problem with men. And there are a few things that at that facility that they said to me that really stuck with me. And when they said them, they it pissed me off so much. But <laughs> when I got out of treatment, I realized, thank God they said those things or else I wouldn't. What were they? What were they? So one, one thing they told me, um, one of the case managers called me a sexual predator. Yeah. And he called me that in front of the entire group. And I was, I mean, looking back on it, I was acting like a sexual predator because I couldn't talk to the guy I really wanted to talk to. So I would just start flirting with any other guy and I would like put as much makeup as I can and I would wear these really tight clothes. And when you're in a program with sex addicts, you're... You're not supposed to dress like you're supposed to be careful about how you dress. Like that's one of the rules of the facility. Um, and that really, really hurt. And they and I also had um, one of the doctors there tell me, Lara, if you don't deal with this 
issue with men, then you are never going to get sober. Yeah. And I heard that because... Wait, back up to the... Okay. So he calls you a sexual predator. Was your... So it pissed you off, but but was it like... Because that pisses me off. I'm holding my face, yeah. But Mm. but what, like... What you because you said it it helped you or or what how what what was your what was going on inside of you and like what was the process well, there? I was so defensive about him calling me that. Um, I was so angry and pissed off like I had never been before, and I thought that was the worst thing that anyone could ever be called, especially a woman. I was in a program with like I mean with a lot of men who were sex addicts and they were behaving. Um, in ways that were just really like indescribable and unexplainable in what they did in their past. And I felt like they were lumping me in with that type of behavior. And, and and in your mind, you're just like, you were, you were justified or you were not because you, you didn't feel that way inside. I didn't feel that way inside. I didn't feel no. What do you mean justified in what way? I mean, were you pissed off because you felt like your behavior, like whatever you were doing, you were just. Like, it wasn't, like, what do you say? I, do you say I think it? I was just pissed off because someone, like, finally called called me out for the way I was acting, and they said it in front of a large group, and it hit me so deep, like, nothing, like, people had said things about me before, but for some reason, that word just really lit me up and lit a fire and I was so defensive and I think me being so defensive about it shows that there was something, there was some truth and I don't think it's right to call someone that, but in, in how I was exhibiting my behavior and in, and in how I was acting, there was some truth to that, and I knew it. Okay. Can okay. I, but the, when I listen to it, all I can think of is you, were, you, you weren't a sex addict, you were a love addict. And I, for me, it never makes sense why those two things are lumped into the same, like it, because it feels like they play off of one another. Don't, I mean, I don't know. When I hear that, it feels so abusive. It feels so abusive to hear that at your most vulnerable state, that's that's what somebody who you had entrusted your who you had entrusted yourself to would say to you in a group of people. I mean, I, I don't know. Um, no, I get that, and that's the thing about some of these programs. Like, they are tough, and they'll and they'll try to scare the shit of you, shit out of you, and they'll try to break you. And they do that on purpose. And for some people, sure, it works. But for other people, like you, Holly, like you having that reaction, that's not going to work on 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 you or your personality. And it really doesn't seem to work on women very well. But it, that's what I was going to say. It's well, a because very it's masculine. an ego. It's right. It's trying to like that's the whole thing. When I wrote that, when I wrote that piece, and we've talked about the steps, like women don't have a very well-formed sense of self by the time they get to addiction. They have lost themselves. And so when you try and break apart an ego when there is no ego there, I mean, it's just, to me, like punching a kitten. It's just... Yeah. Yeah, no, I get it. It's totally... It's a it's a very, very masculine approach. It's like, I need to tell you the truth about who you are. And for some people, for some types, that, that works. Um, but I think you're so right. Like for most women, they don't need that. Like that's be, that's the opposite of helpful. They already feel like piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, and I know, and I totally agree. And 
And that was a problem. Do with you a lot think you were a sexual predator, though? I mean, I still, I maybe like, well, it hits I think them. I was behaving like in a way that could be looked at. No, my behavior was predatory. Was it? Was it about like? Was it sexual? I don't know, but I know that I I believe when I look back at it that I was preying on men there. Mm. Huh. I so it's like your behavior was predatory, but but it, it's saying like that uh, anyway. We can. But move do you, on but this, this point, also but I, sounds a lot like you know, and Lauren, when you and I have talked about this stuff before, you and I, and maybe in the rejection episode where we talked about how over the years we've had this like it didn't matter. What man it was It wasn't that we wanted the man It was that we needed to have that yeah. man see us um, Totally I, But when I say that For, for me I, and, and this is I'm just curious about what your opinion is on, on this Lara But like when I say that When I'm saying that I don't feel like I've been a predator in those situations I feel like I've been a very hurt person In those situations Looking for something that I couldn't give myself um, not preying on my friend's husband and hoping that he like finds me attractive or I get some sort of attention from him, right. but just more of right. needing something from somebody um, and using my whatever I have in order to try and get that. Um, yes. Does Everything's that love or a call for no, love? No, that to- that totally hits me. And and Holly, that's more of my truth. Like, but that's not the language or the therapy that I receive. So when yeah. you say that, I totally identify with that. And I wish that that's how I would have been treated. And I wish that's how it would have been approached. But that wasn't my experience. Yeah. And so yeah. everything I received around it was telling me, like, you know, you're this label. You yeah. are predatory. Like, I was broken. And the reason mm-hmm. I wanted, like, you're so right. I wanted that attention because I had no self-esteem. I had no idea who I was. But these men were telling me positive things. They were saying I was beautiful. I was smart. And I didn't believe those things, but I wanted to believe them. So yeah. if there was someone yeah. who was going to give me that attention and make me feel any, like, any bit of love for myself, then I was going to hold on to that. Yeah. Yeah. You're a person Hell in yeah. fucking pain. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, that's, and I know like it, it bothers you so, I know. so much to hear those <laughs> words and I, and I get it, but for me, it's like, yeah, but it also got you. Yeah. Sense. Yeah. I know. Yeah. But it also is, I mean, it's one of those things I talk a lot about, like the, I mean, I had so many in, in my stories of, of AA, which are nothing compared to what you're talking about. But in those moments where like some of my most vulnerable moments where I was told by somebody I was going to drink again or I was told by somebody that I was deluding myself, um, they were so painful and sh- they shook me to the core, right? And they were the last thing that I needed to hear. But also I was able to metabolize them into something, into a lesson and into a growth um, and I think that's what you're saying, that it's probably not the best way <laughs> to have healed you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you were I'm able to metabolize it. Me. <laughs> I'm saying that stuck with me. Not recommending like, it. All right. Maybe there's been some issues that I need to work work on. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and like, um, I've had such a different experience because I've been in the 12 steps rooms for five years and I've heard so many things said to me that like really are really hurtful to my self-esteem and I'm yeah. still working on like feeling more empowered um, and feeling more loved. But because I've heard so many 
more different like attacks on what they were thinking was my ego, but it was actually like truly a broken person. Yeah. I've, I've heard so many of them that they've just become part of my story. And so I, yeah. I sometimes forget like, who am I really? Because I've been broken down so much that I believe sometimes that I'm still, I'm still broken. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened? Okay. So, so you have these like aha moments in treatment and then what, and then what happens? Yeah. So, so when, how old are you? I'm sorry. One last thing. How old are you? When is that? How old are you right now? You're 30. You're my 33 right now. And I was 29 or 30 at that time. Okay, cool. Okay. Um, okay. So the doctor that said you're never going to get sober unless you deal with your issues with men, that doctor was empathetic and compassionate to me at that program. And he would pull me aside and talk to me like I was a human. And so when he said that, that stuck with me. And I had a therapist or a psychiatrist there who I still see today who said, one, the best way to judge, you know, a healthy woman is to look at her relationships with females. And at that Uh point, I had no relationships with females. I had Uh friends in my past who cared about me and I used to have female friendships, but I just lost all of that. And in, in treatment, I wasn't friends with any women. Like I was always hanging around guys. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I got out and um, I went to sober living, an all women sober living. I um, signed up for therapy with a sex and love addiction counselor. I joined the sex and love addictions anonymous program for maybe three or four months. And then I also started doing AA. So there was like a myriad, a lot of different things that I did. Um, And the Sex and Love Addiction Anonymous program, Holly, you probably wouldn't like that either. Um, Every day. (laughs) Well, it's based on the same stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. But I would have to, like, I would have to, and I did, I would have to list out, like, top and bottom line behaviors. And so, like, a bottom line behavior is something where you're, you're regressing and acting out with old behaviors. And, like, a bottom line behavior for me might be, like, calling the guy from the treatment center or even flirting um, with someone at work. Like I, it was so strict and so hard. And I was always in my head, like, am I flirting? Am I like, why, what's going on? What am I wearing? Why am I acting like this? How does my hair look? Am I, am I doing anything that would, that would like, I don't know, not turn men on, but, but call attention to you or whatever. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and I worked a few steps in that program and I started working with a sponsor, um, in AA and, and, and my love addiction counselor was this older woman. Um, she was like very, very Christian, very Southern. Um, and I liked her, like I liked her at first because I just thought, well, this is what they told me to do. I'm going to go to this love addiction therapist. But then it was like everything she was saying, just, I started, I read like 20 or 25 books about love and sex addiction and and things she was, things that she was telling me to do was just, it was too much. Like one thing that stuck out to me is, um, so I masturbate and I have fantasies about like men choking me and that that would turn me on and I would talk to her about it. And she's like, "Um, no, no, you cannot be masturbating. And you especially cannot be imagining men choking you. Uh, 
I get why she said that because I had like physical and verbal or physical abuse in my past and, and whatever, but it's just like, and she would like tell me how to sit and how to dress. But why is masturbating wrong? And why is thinking about violent masturbation wrong? And who knows? I don't know. I don't, and like researching further, it's not. I mean, it's not wrong because it's a common fantasy among women and men. Well, and it's just, it's just like further suppression the way I see it, you know? Like it's a normal human instinct. Maybe, you know, we all have different like um, things that turn us on or fantasies or whatever, but fucking masturbation is is a normal human instinct. I know. And, and if masturbation is going to stop me from like, acting out with men or you know yeah to have sex like I would yeah I look I've always looked at masturbation as healthy because I've done it my like since I was like 10 or 11 years old <laughs> um and it was yeah. part of my sexuality but like I just start the more I worked in these programs um with love addiction and like try being told not to masturbate and being told not to sit and being told what to do and and like having to look at my behavior every single second, it just started wearing me down and I yeah. could not handle it. Like I needed to stay sober, first of all. Right. And and that's the bottom line. But it was, I mean, I'm glad that I, I was aware and I looked at these things, but it was just, it became, it became too much because I couldn't even understand who I was or even you know, remove the layers of who I was. At. Well, when everything well, you do is wrong, who the fuck are you? Right. And there's exactly. this like, there's, that's why shot. I mean, shadow work is so deeply important because we're all mm-hmm. fucked up. We all have the propensity to be murderers as much as we do. Saints. To everything, everything. Yeah. We're all capable of it all. And when you start cutting off these parts and saying, that's bad, that's bad, that's bad, that's bad, that's bad. There's nothing left. There's nothing right. left. You have to, it's like Debbie, like you have to live in the room that's like, you know, the size of a closet in your house. You just can't go anywhere else. It yeah. makes me so anxious to that's, hear that's, that. Yeah, it's so, I mean, that's so true. Like, I, I couldn't do anything. Who was I? Like, everything I was doing was wrong or bad or a bottom line behavior or, or I was gross. It yeah. feels yeah. like, and, sorry, keep going. No, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, it feels like whenever I've talked to you, I've always felt like you're a little bit like Alice in Wonderland. And just stick with me on this for a second. Because it feels like, I know it's true. I mean, I the story, your first when you showed up to your first rehab, am I right or am I wrong? You were in pink Converse and a fur coat? That, that, that was my fourth rehab. Oh, fourth rehab. Okay. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, but it just, but your, but the, your trajectory and then also taking you to where you are today, it does just feel a lot of times when I listen to your story, the same, like, like it all had to happen to you in this way so that you could do the work that you're doing today. But it is, whenever I listen to you talk about this, it, blows my fucking like or, or he, not talk about it but read about it it blows my mind it real like I mean mm-hmm. even like you know you and I met when the not met but you and I had our first phone conversation when an unreal thing was happening to you in your professional life we haven't even gotten to the right. most like to that that happened last January and yeah it's just yes. like I want to talk about that. But it Are we just to yeah. Talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Well, anyway. So so you okay? So you the, the, uh, did I, you stop masturbating? I, just, I mean, did you like? No, I try. Okay, I didn't stop. Well, I was okay. Well, you know, I was in sober living, so 
<laughs> I couldn't masturbate as often as I would have wanted because there were other women in my room. <laughs> but I still did. Yeah. Um, but I didn't stop. I tried to stop having these fantasies. And the more I stopped trying to have the fantasies, the more I was like, gosh, I want to have these fantasies. Like, right. you can't turn off your like your sexuality and, and what turns you on. Like, you can't just no. turn that off. No. Um, you can. So, it doesn't work out very well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. It, I didn't stop masturbating. Still masturbate today. Love masturbation. Um, and I, and I, here, and here. I still have a... Still here, have here. A, <laughs> <laughs> Let's have a little sip of our coffee. <gasps> Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's what we're going to call this episode, by the way. Cheers to masturbation. treatment and and dealing you know and like empowering women um and making them feel seen and not broken but ever most of what I experienced was making me feel broken and was telling me that I was bad that I was inherently selfish that I was born this way um that I had all these you know I had these defects I had these problems and and there was like Ugh. only certain answers that would help yeah, yep. and, and so I followed those. I followed those, and they, and they did end up helping. Yeah. But when I look back, like I also think, had I not gone through some of the programs that I did or the treatment that I did, I would be a lot more confident, and I would feel a lot more whole because I like. It took me a long time until I took hip sobriety school to really feel powerful in my recovery or my sobriety. Yeah. And and I like you gave me you gave me so much love and understanding and compassion and same with the people in that school. Yeah. I I didn't experience that in my recovery prior. Yeah. Um, you know, I had people who told me they love me and they're proud of me, but it was like, oh, you're good because you're going to Because you did good. <laughs> yeah. Right. Because you're good because you haven't drank or whatever. Exactly. Like, I'm not, and that was like, and I think that's an issue too in our society. Like, whenever I wasn't, I didn't believe I was inherently good. I didn't no. believe that I was like born in love or of love. I no. believed that I was good if I got good grades. I was good if I had like a big title, if I made yeah. money. Yeah. I had a relationship with someone powerful. Like I, I did not understand that I was a beautiful person, regardless of what label or identity I had. Yeah. And it, and it took me a long time to truly understand that. And I'm still understanding that and I'm still working on that. But a lot of the work that you two put out, like it's, I mean, I always talk about you guys because it's been so powerful for me and it's been so touching and to connect with the women that you guys are connected with and the, and and the community that you've set up, like, it's just been such an empowering and loving experience for me. And I feel like it's everything I really needed to be able to, like, I, I mean, to even use my voice and talk about what's gone on in my past and and to try Thank to help. Thank God that happened. Yeah, I know. I want to talk about, <laughs> so let's talk about the, I'm interested in hearing about the switch I want to get to what happened to you earlier this year when you and I talked, because I think that's an, an, a very important story. Yeah. Um, but I also am really interested in how you were able, what was it for you that allowed you to hear something different 
right? So you said you first were confronted with with something in my work that said you don't need to do the 12 steps. Um, and at first it was really um, – it was – I mean, it, it's a – well, it's really scary, I think. Um, mm-hmm. Can you talk about that a little bit and then also what, yeah. what allowed for room when, for you to, to move? Yeah, and I talk about – I mean, I've written about this a lot, but basically, I mean, all the treatment I got around my recovery was to work the 12 steps and to have a spiritual experience, and that, that was the only way to get sober. And so many people told me that, and I was surrounded by such a large community that believed that, that that became my belief too. Um, and you it didn't was, question it. I, I didn't question it because I didn't well, know if you do, at least openly, if you question it, it's, that's no bueno. That's no bueno. Yeah. And, and, um, and so, the, and so those are my beliefs and, and I didn't believe it was possible and I had never heard another message. Um, when I started like reading more books on love and sex addiction and talking to my like AA sponsor about it, she didn't necessarily see a problem with that. However, um, when I would talk about like reading self-help books in my AA group, many people who I admired and looked up to were like, nope, don't read those books. You don't need anything but this, the big book of AA. That's the only thing that's going to help you. Like that's your textbook. And, um, I like, and, and I think I started listening to y'all's, um, podcast when it came out and Holly, I was still, I still didn't, I mean, I, I didn't identify with you until I started hearing what you ladies were speaking about and I almost hid and like I started reading more blogs like um Laura's I read a lot and Holly I even read I I mean I started reading some of yours and I just started hearing a different message and and I started realizing and seeing that you can recover outside of the 12 steps and there's a totally different path that everyone has Mm -hmm. and um right and it's not either or you know it's not I yeah. My experience has not has been very much all things, you know, yeah. including the twelve steps. So it's not. Yeah, and I love that. I love that. And mm-hmm. now, but you know, I do that too today. But before, I didn't, and I wish right. I had that. I wish I had known there were other tools. God, uh, no kidding. On, on, on the path, because I think I would be a lot further ahead. But again, this is this is my story, and it was all meant to be. Um, and so, what happened is, I so I start. I had a, I got a job as a marketing director for a treatment center. Um, and how, uh, when, how old were you and how long have you been sober? Okay. Um, I'd probably been sober for a year and a half when I got the job. And that was, um, well, I guess a year and a half ago when I started working there. Oh my God. It seems like a longer, I know it does. (laughs) Does it? Yes, it does. Um, and yeah, and so I, I started work, like I wasn't working full time, I was probably working 30 hours a week. And at that time, you know, I was really committed to my 12 step program. Like, uh, I was told that I had to do two service commitments a week, which meant I had to go speak at a treatment center about the 12 steps um, twice a week. And then I had to go to another like our home group meeting. And when I and so I started working and I was in a relationship that was really fulfilling and I was hanging out with girlfriends and um, I just started building a bigger life for myself than what it used to be. And so I started, I was, I started talking to my sponsor and I told her, you know, I can't, you know, I can't make that commitment. I have something for work or maybe like, you know, I want to take this Sunday off and I just want to take care of myself. I don't want to feel like I have to go do something as much as I, you know, like I love helping women when it feels like it's like you're forced to do it. It doesn't feel like true service. Right. 
And, um, and, I, and so that started bothering me a lot because they would like, and they made me feel like at one point I was this, you know, ideal, perfect member of AA. And then when I started not wanting to do is what they were telling me to do, they started, um, you know, like you're living in self-will, you're not listening to God. Um, you know, if you don't do these things, you will relapse. And, mm-hmm. and it was just like, I, so I can't have a life. Like I can't do, I have to do exactly what you tell me to do or else I'm going to drink or relapse or else I'm not listening to God. Maybe that's not what God's telling me to do. And, mm-hmm. and, and that came at the time with your podcast too. And with just, I started just listening more and I started trying to reach more answers and we have, you know, a community of women who talk about other paths, other paths. And so I started realizing like you can, you can do different things for your recovery. You don't have to stick to this script that you've been told for the last five years. Like there are other ways to live and you're not wrong because you don't because you can't do all these commitments. Like there's nothing wrong with you. And that doesn't mean that you don't have a connection with God. And yeah. It's so, I just want to say something really quick because you're, this is something I've, I, I know Holly believes this and we both say this pretty hard, but like anything, any belief, any faith, any spiritual practice, any, any fucking book, any, um, from, you know, any teacher, any lesson, any, anything has to be tested by you. Like has to be, and, and I think, I don't know if it was the Buddha. I don't, I know a lot of um, Buddhist teachers say this, but like, don't take my word for it ever. Test, test it for yourself. Yeah. Like, that's when you will know the real answer. Um, and that, you know, that, that is in my mind, what is really, it, it's not all of AA because I have a lot of people who subscribe to that, you know, that belief. But I think by and large, it is a, um, it is not that way. So Anyway. Yeah, and and I think and no, and it's not that way for everyone, and and I totally be, believe that. Like, I didn't, I didn't realize that I could receive other lessons, like that there were even teachers out there, that there were even people going on a different path. Um, and when I started seeing that, I mean, I just started learning more. I started asking more questions. I started educating myself, and I reached out to Holly, and because I was just, I didn't, I, I didn't know what to do. Like, I was. It was so, the idea of leaving AA was terrifying to me because everyone I know was in it. It was the thing that I believed at that time that was, that got me sober and was maintaining my sobriety. And everything that people kept telling me was like, if you leave, you're going to relapse. Like you cannot step Mm -hmm. away from this. And there was no one in my community in Dallas that I knew that was on a different path besides 12 step. Mm-hmm. And I like, I just didn't know what to do. And like going through hip sobriety school, I mean, thank God for Holly when she answered the phone and, and spoke to me and provided me with, you know, books and resources and tools and stories and other people who were having similar experiences as I was, because had I not found that, I, I don't know where I would be. Um, Oh shit. Right. Um, what, so, uh, but alongside while you're having this experience, you're also going through this thing at work. Yeah. You, I mean, you talk about that. Go into that. Um, 
So I had started working for this man who said he was a psychiatrist and a doctor, and he was running a one-on-one like personal addiction recovery program. And um, I like, you know, he's a very charismatic, charming man. He's from England. He said he had a PhD from the University of Oxford. Um, his approach to treating addiction is much like what we talked about before, like yelling at the person, you know, telling them they're broken, telling them all their faults and trying to break them to like, uh, just to get them Mission, to, right? yeah, yeah. And, and like, and he cussed at them and it was interesting to me. Um, and I saw it work on some people and then I just, things weren't lining up with what he was saying. Um, and I found out like he just, he started, um, I can't, I can't think of the word, but he started treating us. He started treating us really bad. He started talking down to us and prior he used to like lift us up and, um, and like, I don't know, tell us how great we were, but then all of a sudden everything was our fault. And I remember like, um, I, I think I was talking about how I was doing hip sobriety school. I was talking about how I was leaving AA and he told, and he sat me down in the office with, um, some of the other employees and told me, he told me that I was going to relapse. Um, and so I, and like, I really, I still, I really looked up to him. Like I thought he was a superhuman. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a PhD from Oxford for God's sakes. Like that's mm-hmm. what I believed. And so I went home and I just like, I fell to the floor next to my bathtub and I was like, what the fuck is wrong with me? What is wrong with me? Like he's right. Maybe I am going to relapse. Like I just didn't know what to do. Um, like what's wrong with me? Like, why am I doing this to myself type thing? Well, like, it, uh, am I going to relapse? Is my yeah. behavior changing? Like, yeah. like questioning that, everything. What, like, yeah. yeah. What's, what is going on? Um, and I was in hip sobriety school at that time. And so, you know, uh, this student was in the class and Holly talked with me about it and I, and I got through that. Um, but like a month or two later, I, I was still working for this guy and, um, he was still like, just maybe it was a month later. Um, he had told, I found out that he wasn't licensed in Texas as a psych, um, as a psychologist. And I was like, well, that's, that's fishy. Like you're not licensed as a psychologist. What's going on? And he said that it was because he had gone to a psych ward. And so I told my parents that, um, my parents are psychologists and they were like, no, you wouldn't get your license suspended just because you went, you went to a psych ward. And so they looked, we looked at the site and we saw that, um, his license had never been suspended and, and he didn't have a license because if it, if he had a license, it would have been on this list and his name wasn't there. And so I started questioning, I'm like, is this guy really a psychologist? Did this guy really go to the university of Oxford? And he started leaving work, um, and saying he was sick and he was, he was either, abusing pills or drinking at that. I think just abusing pills. I don't know which one at that time, but he was like using, um, some, some, some substance while he was still working. Yeah. And, and so, um, he relapsed, I quit and I ended up, um, reaching out to the university of Oxford and a television station about him because I thought this guy isn't a doctor and we had just gotten, we had just gotten him on the show, the doctors, um, and he had appeared <laughs> on that show. Um, 
And because I was, we were trying to do PR and marketing for him. And I, and then I found out the university, university of Oxford said his degree was fraudulent, that he had never gone there. And so basically I had believed that this guy was a doctor. Um, and, and I was scared to even like to go public about it, to talk about it because he sent me threats. Like, um, I will, you know, he texted me like, I'll ruin you. Um, And then after I quit, like four, three or four months later, um, when things, more things are coming out, he's like, Lara, he sent me another text. Lara, thank you for what you're doing to me. Um, I hope you're at the same address. I'll see you soon. Like, so yeah. Okay. So (laughs) I don't want to, I don't want to like go down. I mean, if we, Hal, I don't know if you want to keep going with this, but my point, like, your whole everything sort of collapsed like your whole yeah. worldview collapsed basically yeah. um and how how i want to we have to end right at noon I, how do you look at that experience now and sort of where are you now with things and i also want to know do you consider yourself a sex addict do you consider yourself a love addict like what does that sort of recovery look like for you um i i I don't consider myself a love addict or a sex addict. Um, I do know that, like, I don't even believe that love addiction is the right term. And um, there's some work by Charlotte Casal. There's a book called Sex, Love, and Addiction that I really like. Um, But you can't, I don't even know if, like, how can you be addicted to love? Like, love is a good thing. So I was addicted. I was addicted to um, finding my identity in men. I know I was addicted to that. That makes a lot of sense. (laughs) Um, But I, and I still read on the subject and I still make sure that I'm acting like in a healthy way when I'm, um, you know, dating guys are interested in men and and I, and I check my motives and my intentions a lot, but I don't, I don't exhibit any of the behaviors that I used to exhibit before. So I don't necessarily identify with that. I do identify that it was part of my story, but is that my story today? No, I think, and I think all women, I mean, a lot of women can identify with um, giving their power away to men or um, wanting to have a man in their life. Like that's kind of just part of life now, but, um, like forever. Are, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they haven't necessarily showed up. And what was your other question? Just what, um, you know, where are you to now Now with, because we've, you know, we knew your story, but all the people listening really didn't. Yeah. So, wh- so where are you now? Like, um, what is, what does recovery look like? What are you, how are you feeling? How are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> so... I'm nearly three years sober. Um, I don't, I don't like, I don't really think about my recovery every day, but I know I do things for my recovery every day, but it's more just part of having a ritual and a routine and tools that I can go to. And it's just part of my makeup and my everyday. So I don't really like look, uh, okay, I'm going to do this for my recovery. I do feel um, because of y'all's work that sobriety is my greatest gift. Like mm-hmm. I am very awake. I am very aware. I am very present. I My heart has grown so big. Um, sometimes it's impossible to describe like how much compassion and empathy and love I really do hold in my heart and and that can sometimes be scary because yeah um i can get disappointed with other people 
in my life by having expectations that they're supposed to have the same heart as I do. But I, I mean, my sobriety is totally stable. I've had possibly the worst year of um, my, like my entire life, but definitely in my sobriety, but I've remained stable and sturdy and strong. And I've looked at everything as a lesson and an experience. Every relationship is an assignment. Every person is my teacher. Like all, you know, the work that I've done after leaving AA um, has really guided me into my beliefs today. And so today I, I feel um, I feel powerful and comfortable and I want to do more in this space to help women. I want to talk more about like love and sex addiction or codependency. And I want to talk mm-hmm. more about prescription pill abuse. Like mm-hmm. I, I want to make a difference because I think there are things that happen in my story that um, they're not being talked about because totally. they didn't. I mean, that's why we had you on. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. And I appreciate that. And that's, I mean, that's such a gift. I want to use, I mean, I want to use my story to, to make a difference and to help women like see that, I mean, you don't, you're not broken. You're, you're not all the things that I was told and you don't have to do AA. Like you don't have to, and you, and you can do AA or AA can be one of your tools. Like I just wish there was, um, more resources out there for, for women besides like, you know, just, alcohol abuse like I want more women to talk about love addiction I want more women to talk about sex addiction I want more women to talk about prescription pill abuse I um and women who are you know professional and educated like who have abused pills I don't feel that there's many people talking about that and so I want to I I don't know I just feel it's like what (laughs) Holly posted yesterday about like being the faucet like I just have so much to share and I just want to share it yeah. And you are, you are, and you will. Like, I, I mean, I, th- I see you as someone who's just barely, barely begun. I, I've been you. on mute. I keep on trying to talk. Um, I feel like your story is so important because that for exactly what you said, all this stuff happened to you and it's not, you know, I mean, it's for a reason. It's to bring you to this point, to be able to, to, to share what you've, what you've learned. And also it's, I mean, it's, it's, you have a remarkable journey. Um, and just even, I mean, you know, you and I, just the stuff that's happened to you in this past year, it's, it's incredible. It is incredible. It isn't it. I mean, how life just throws all of this shit (laughs) on you. Um, again and again and again, but that you become stronger and that you learn from it and you stand taller and, um, I just, yeah, I think you have, you have so much to share. Um, it's, and, 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 um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know if I have the right words to say it, but you've just, you've experienced so much and you've done so much with what you've experienced. Thank you. And I think, I mean, one thing that I always believe is that when you two started opening up and sharing and giving a voice to your story, it allowed so many other women to do the same. And that's really why I started talking and why I started writing is because of, of you two and like just setting other women free. I think that's such important work that you guys are doing. Thank you. And yeah, we did it because other people gave us permission. You know, we just keep going. You just keep yeah. going. But thank you. You're welcome. You two are my angels. <laughs> You're an angel too. Yeah, I know. Thank you. 
And your fucking pig is an angel. Can you hear her right now? No. No. Oh, okay. She's like grunting at the door. I, I love that was... she ate a return to love last night and crapped on the floor. <laughs> oh my <laughs> god! Favorite book. on the carpet. Fuck this shit. It's so. I'll perfect. show you what I think of a course in miracles. Someone <laughs> <laughs> like, well, everything is either love or, or a call for love. <laughs> <laughs> So good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh uh, girl, this has been awesome. Yeah, it's been yeah, so thank great. Thank you so much. Thank yes. you. And um, we love you and very much. See what else happens. Yeah. What's you. next? Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> Anything. All right, babe. Love you. Thank you. Love you guys. Bye. 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 Infinitely so Sweet.